I am so glad to be back. I've missed Cornerstone so much. I love this church. Um, it's, uh, it's always fascinating to me whenever I leave. You know how like, it feels good to come home to family? There's just something about it. I don't travel well. That's why I took everything and crammed it into this little bit in summer because I just don't like to travel. And I couldn't wait to get back. I couldn't wait to be here this morning. And, and so when Mike asked if I would preach this morning, I was just like, you bet. I can't wait to be with just the people of Cornerstone. So love all of you. Just I love you to, I don't know what this, I say to my daughter all the time, I love you to bits. And I do. I just love this church so much. So I'm excited to be back. Um, here's what I want to do this morning. Um, I woke up. I, did anybody catch the sunrise this morning in here? Anybody? Everybody, okay, there's a couple people. <laughs> the little girl, man, it's getting darker in here. Is there any way to get lighter in here? <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, but uh, the little girl we're about to adopt, uh, I wouldn't have been up this morning except she decided she wanted to be up. And uh, I woke up and I was watching the sunrise this morning. And have you ever just, in this moment of seeing the sun come up over the hill, they said to yourself, oh my gosh, God is amazing. I mean, part of me wanted to just sit up and just go. It just was just to watch the sun just start to wash over Simi Valley and be reminded that God is in absolute control right now. Isn't that just amazing? He holds the whole universe together by the power of his will. And that means today, for those of us that know Jesus, we're good. We are good. It doesn't matter what happens today, we are good. And so with that, like I just, I sat there and held the baby. I didn't want her to wake up again because I'd finally got her to sleep, but everything in me wanted to just scream and go, go God, and then I'd realize my neighbors would think I was weird. But (laughs) anyways, it's so good to be back. Here's what we're going to be today. If you could open your Bibles to Romans 12, that's what we're going to dive into. Um, Spent some time in Romans while I was away speaking in my vacation, it was just a book that I decided I wanted to just kind of just dwell in while I was gone for the last couple of weeks. And um, part of it is, is this. I was listening to all the different guys speak, and a lot of them spoke about joining Jesus and what he's doing. And I don't know if you've ever just sat back and realized we're involved in the greatest thing ever, those of us that know Jesus. We're involved in the greatest mission of all time. For those of us that are men, man, we are called by Jesus to take a hill. For those of you that are women, you're called to join along with the great master of the universe. We're called to join him in this incredible reality called the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we've been called into. That's this this thing, this great commission everybody kept talking about. And I heard the guys speak about it, and I heard... Like, you hear just Terry, when he spoke, man, he just, he just oozed on us just the reality of, do you get who you are when you know Jesus? Francis, when he came up, I mean, homeboy can sell snow to an Eskimo. Didn't he? He just got done, and you're like, my gosh, yeah, Francis, let's go. You know, we'll come to San Francisco with you. And then we changed our mind the next day. <laughs> the next week, we heard Bill just talk about this idea of staying focused on Jesus. Steve got up and just put us at a fork in the road and asked the question, are we going to be involved in the Great Commission? Man, we came off a week in which God just did incredible things with VBS. I kept getting all these pictures. I actually spent a week on Facebook (laughs) just so I could see the pictures of what God was doing. And oh my gosh, like at one point, I just was like, 
yes, just to see all those little kids in here, to watch what all of you have done, and then with the way that Christian just came up and explained what God taught us and what he taught those kids that last week. But everything has been calling us into what God is doing. And let me ask you this question, just to start off this morning. Do you really want to join God in what he's doing? Really? This mission that he's on, this, this, this rescue mission to, the, to a lost and a dying world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every neighbor that you have, do you honestly want to join Jesus in what he's doing? Because whenever the Bible talks about God's will, it is God's will that we join him in what he's doing. It's God's will that we be sanctified. It's God's will that we be set apart. It's God's, there's all these different ways in which he talks about God's will. But the reason that he does it is that he saves us into his family. He saves us from something, but he saves us to and for something. He saves us. He makes us different so that we can join him in what he's doing on this planet. And the question I want to ask you, honestly, deep within your gut, if Jesus were standing here today and he came up in front of the whole group and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, would you go? Would you go? The reason I ask that question is, is that's the question I asked myself while I was gone. Okay, honestly, Todd, deep in your gut, playing no games with nobody, would you go? And the thing that I realized in asking that question is I was actually asking the wrong question. Not would he I go, would I follow him? But the greater question is, is not would I follow him, is but do I want to be with him? See, at the core of it is, is that it's great to get caught up in the mission, but the end of it all, the mission is, is that we would just enjoy God. I mean, when's the last time you just woke up and just enjoyed God? This morning while I was feeding the baby, I was sitting there just praying, and I'm just talking, and the, the verse that came to my mind was out of Romans 8, where it talks about this idea that now all of a sudden we can call him Daddy. I'm sitting there holding the baby, and I just as I hold this baby, and she's just sitting there looking up at me, and I'm looking at her. When's the last time you realize God the Father enjoys you? He wants you on his mission. He wants you to be along with him with what he's doing. But the question then that I had to ask myself is, what do I need to do every day to make sure that I'm engaged in what God's doing? How is it that I stay with him every day? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, I want to go with him. I want to be with him. But now what things do I need to do on a daily basis to stay engaged with him so that I can be engaged in what God's doing, the most incredible thing that ever has happened on this planet? And here's where we're going to go today is in Romans 12. And if you could, I'm going to read it. Uh, verse starting in verse 1, but if everybody could just stand up, and let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll dive into what we're going to preach you this morning. Romans 12, verses 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what it is that God wants you to do, what his will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, would you please help us today? I desperately need you to, to speak through me. I would speak on your behalf. I want to speak your words. 
Father, I want to be powerful today, so please, would you just speak through me? Would I be a vessel of use for you? Father, would you then, through the power of your Spirit, would you allow ears to be open and hearts to be soft? And God, at the end of it, I beg you that we would be excited and thrilled to join you, not just in a concept, but every day in what you're doing. Please, Father, in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get going. Sit down. Now, the, the, the reason that I bring all that up is, is that Paul, in Romans 1 through 11, what he does is he lays out this amazing reality of what God is doing. In chapter 118 through 320, he lays out this concept in which every person, whether they are Gentile, whether they're a moralist, whether they're a Jew, every single one of them in 39 through 20, he says, is sinful from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. But then in 321, he twists this corner and he does something incredible. He wants us to understand that while we are sinful, something amazing happened. God and his grace loved us so much that he sent his son. And now those of us that by faith, not by works, trust in Jesus Christ, trust in him alone, we now are justified as the word. We're made different. We are now made right in the eyes of God. That When he gets to Romans 8 verse 1, he says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. He then begins to lay out this reality of what this justification means, what this faith means. And he comes to chapter 4 and he says, but you got to do it like Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't try to work. He didn't try to do anything else. He just believed God and out of that belief, then he worked. Chapter 5, he lays out this amazing reality that we didn't love him first, but he loved us first. He's going to rip us out of what he calls the old Adam, the the world in which we used to live, this world filled with sin and death. And he wants to rip us out of that and place us into this new world, which he calls this, this new Adam, Jesus Christ. And he wants to make us different and transform us. And so when he comes to chapter 6, he lays out this amazing reality that, that now, because we have died with Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin anymore. Ever thought about that? Those of you in this room that know Jesus, you have the capacity not to sin. Those of you in here that don't know Jesus, all you can do is sin. When Jesus Christ was raised from the grave, all those that that would trust in him now, they can live a life in which they literally can can choose or can, can live a life in which they don't sin. But Paul in Romans 7 said, but yeah, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do do, I wish I didn't do. What am I going to do? And he says, well, praise be to God. Chapter 8, he talks about the Spirit, because there's no way in the world we can ever pull this thing off. Taught in and of himself, you in and of yourself, there's no possible way you can ever live a life glorifying to God. And so in his grace, not only did he save us and rip us out of the grave with Jesus Christ, but then he gave us his Holy Spirit so we could live powerful lives. He gave us his Holy Spirit as a mark that one day he was going to come back and get us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to remind us, I'm your daddy. And at the very end of chapter 8, he says, so then who can separate us from the love of God? And he goes through this litany of things, and he says, nothing, no one, nobody. But then he throws this little chunk in 9 through 11 where he, he talks about the Jews. And these Jews, the reason that they kind of got grafted uniquely to the side and we got grafted in was because they didn't pursue what God called them to do. 
They were to be a blessing to the nations. He made them something beautiful. He called them. He made them his own nation. He, he literally was the only nation that he ever loved, but he loved them so that they might demonstrate his love to the world. But because they didn't then go do that, he disciplined them. And Paul gets to the very end of it, and he's blown away. And at the very end, if you go to me, at the very end of chapter 11, look with me what it says. Starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that it might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He just finishes and goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe this amazing thing that God's doing. And then this is what he says to the people. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, if you're going to ever understand what you need to do, if you're ever going to need to understand how is it that I join God, the first thing you have to understand is just who you are, everything that Terry preached about. We live inside of what are called the mercies of God. This amazing reality of him ripping us out of darkness, placing us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, cleaning us, making us new, making us separate, calling us to what he's doing on this planet. But then with the hope one day, the final mercy of it all is there will be a shout and a trumpet and Jesus will come back and he will set all things right. And Paul says, based upon these mercies, I'm going to call you to do certain things so that you will understand what God wants you to do. Now, here's the very first thing that he lays out for us after talking about the mercies. If I really want to understand what God wants me to do, here's the first thing I need to do. Look at this. He says, you will need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you ever want to understand on a daily basis is what he's talking about, I have to present my body as a living sacrifice. Now, the image is this. In the Old Testament, the priest would take an animal, and when they would bring it into sacrifice to present it to God, it would be a, a, a litany of things in which they would do, but then they would bring it, and they would put it before God on the altar. They would slit like the lamb's throat. The lamb would go, bah, no more. It would die. And instead of that lamb, instead of the person now bearing the brunt and the reality of their sin, God now placed the death upon that particular lamb. Something had to die. And what he's talking about here is, is you are to literally be on a daily basis, if you really want to know what God wants you to do, you have to die. Now, I'm not talking morbid. But the idea is, is that Todd needs to stop living. You all know this. When you have control of your lives, don't you screw it up? We are great at screwing up our lives, aren't we? We think we want control, but think about it for a second. God created the universe. He knows how it works. He created you. He knows how you work. Why in the world would you ever run your life? And so the first thing he's talking about here is just to get out of the driver's seat and say to God, God, I choose to die, but something amazing happens. Go with me to Galatians 2.20. Turn your Bibles there. How is it that I do that? Galatians 2.20. He's going to tell us an amazing truth. He says this in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he saying there? Is that on a daily basis, I just have to actually be who I really am. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, Todd died. When I was a kid, um, where I grew up in Wyoming, you went hunting. I know some of you don't care for hunting, but that's where I grew up. And I'll never forget the first time I went hunting. My grandpa took me out goose hunting, and I was about 12 years old, and he had my shotgun, and we'd been practicing on clay pigeons, and so we get out there, and you sit in this pit, and sitting down in the pit, then what you do is you wait for geese to come flying to your decoys, and so finally some geese start flying, and my grandpa gets on, and honkety-honkety, you know, and, and, and slowly after a while, here comes some geese, and I'll never forget, because I'm just sitting there, and it is probably the biggest adrenaline rush in the world to sit down and wait to hunt. And my heart is beating, and then all of a sudden, the geese light in, and my grandpa says this, go get them. And everybody jumps out of the pit. (laughs) You know, and I hit one, and I'm like, yes, and the one I hit, though, I just, I didn't kill it. I just damaged it, and so it's like, and it literally looked like a plane coming in for crash, and all I heard was, and my grandpa goes, you didn't kill it, so go get it. So I'm thinking, it's a goose. So I go out and I walk up to this goose and as I get up to it, the thing I'm serious had bangs. And it was going. And I'm like, I'm not going to get the goose. And so I'm like trying to do something. My grandpa slowly gets out of the pit and I'll never forget this. He walks up to the goose and he does this and grabs it by the neck. I'm like, my grandpa's Superman. And then he does this. And the body went flying. He still had the head in his hand. The goose was dead. The problem was when the goose landed, if you've ever seen this before, it was still doing this. When you came to know Jesus Christ, you died. But your old nature was still doing this. And every day that you wake up, you have to come to Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time event. It is coming to him and saying, Jesus, I know that I died with you. Now today, would you help me be dead so that Jesus might live? See, earlier in the book of Romans, go back to the book of Romans in chapter 6, verse 8. He says this amazing statement. He says, if we've died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. (coughs) For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider, and the idea is, is all the time I have to continually do this, Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, as sin, or to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but on an ongoing basis, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. 
He's saying to him on a continual basis, I need to come before God and go, God, Todd needs to die. I come before him in repentance sometimes where, God, I have sinned and Todd tried to take control. Please forgive me. And repentance then is this glorious thing of turning and going the other way. So if I want to understand what God wants me to do, the first thing out of this that I need to do is I need to understand I'm a living sacrifice. Here's the next kind of sacrifice I need to be. I need to be holy. Now this word holy, the more I meditated on it while I was gone, we don't understand the word holy. Holy is what the angels scream while they're around God. All they do is cry over and over, holy, holy, holy. They're just, they're talking about God's otherness, his set-apartness, the way in which he's not like us. Now, see, the problem with holiness, though, is that we tend to play with sin. We, t- we tend to, to kind of dwell around it. We, we don't think it's as bad as it is. If it's not bad, then why did Jesus have to die for it? In our lives, just having that reality, not legalistically, but just hopefully in the gospel, this reality of not wanting to sin. But probably the greatest sin in our culture is one in which it was, they dealt with in the priests. Back in Malachi 1, go back there in your Bibles to Malachi 1, at the very end of the Old Testament. These priests were bringing sacrifices before God. But the problem was is that they were bringing sacrifices that God didn't want. And in verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord host to you? O priests, you despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? This is how, God says, this is how you have not been holy. You've offered polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. See, our major problem, my major problem, and your major problem is you or it's me. Our biggest problem with holiness isn't actually our world. Our biggest biggest problem with holiness is ourselves. And the thing about holiness is, is we tend to give God second best. If you really want to know what God has for you, not only do you need to be a living sacrifice, you need to be one that dies so that Christ might live, but you have to be a holy sacrifice, one that doesn't live for yourself anymore. In fact, the way that it talks about it in 1 Corinthians 6 is that when Jesus Christ died, he dies so that we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for him. Now, that doesn't mean you don't don't quit your job. It just means when you go to your job, you work for him. It doesn't mean you somehow shut down being a mom. No, when you're a mom, you're a mom for him. In fact, here's what I believe. I believe our greatest reason we don't have joy is because we live too much for us and not for him. It was so good. Right after I had my surgery, I hadn't had anything good to eat, but I had my first steak. I worshiped. I had a holy moment with that steak. I'm serious. At the end of it, all I want to do is go, Jesus, I'm going to eat this steak for you. (laughs) 
We don't enjoy our kids like God would want us to. We don't enjoy our spouses. We don't enjoy our friendships because we enjoy them generally for us, not for, instead of enjoying them for him. Man, this week, all, these last two weeks, all I've done is start, sat down on a daily basis and prayed, God, help me to be holy and enjoy the kids that you've given me. Man, we forget to enjoy them, don't we? They're actually enjoyable at times until they live for themselves, which is all the time. But holy is to not only about not sinning, but it's about enjoying God and what God has given us. The next thing he lays out is this idea of acceptable. If I really want to know what it is that he has for me, then not only do I have to have a, be a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice, but I have to be an acceptable sacrifice. The idea was, and you'll see this all throughout the Old Testament, the priest would bring the lamb and he would lay it upon the altar and it says that when they would light that fire, the the fumes would go up and it would say it was an acceptable aroma in the nostrils of God. My son and I have this little thing that whenever he does something well, and it looks cheesy, but I go, cheesy. The other day it was so cool. I saw him do something nice to his sister, and he turns around and looks at me and goes, You know those days when you finish your day and you lay your pet on your pillow at night and you're staring at the ceiling, and you know you've lived a day that honors the Lord? You just have this little moment with God where you go, The beauty is all the time, God loves us all the time, and all the time he's doing this to us. Now, sometimes he's doing this to us and then doing this. But an acceptable sacrifice is just this one now that is living, that is holy, that lives his life for God. And then look what he says after that in Romans 12. He says, not only then are you an acceptable sacrifice, but he says this, which is, he says, this particular concept, this idea of being a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and acceptable sacrifice This is worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is how we live our lives. This way in which I trust in the gospel because Todd can't do it on a daily basis. I have to come to him and I have to believe in the gospel. I have to repent and believe the gospel and his forgiveness. I have to live a life in which I believe the gospel empowers me to do what I do. And that is what Paul says is worship to God. That's what pleases him. Not trying to be good. There's so many people I see trying to be good. We're not trying to be good. We're trying to be followers of Jesus, believing that we aren't good, but he is, and he can empower us to be good. There's a huge contrast in that. So not only do you need to be a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and an acceptable sacrifice, but look at verse 2. If I really want to know what God has for me, I can't be conformed to this world. The idea of conformed is to be pressed into a mold. You know this, man. The world is constantly pressing you in. We were on vacation, and I sat down, and I kind of had this weird moment where I thought, you know what, I'm going I'm to watch the Tour de France. And so I turned it on, and I popped it on, and the first thing that comes on is a commercial for Mercedes-Benz. I needed that car. <laughs> it was like sweeping through Europe, and I'm just imagining myself in there with the window open. In one of these. 
The world was just telling Todd, Todd, you need this car. Todd, you need this house. You need these things. You don't need your wife. You need another woman. Woman, you don't need that husband you have. You need this fictional man that you've read inside of some romance novel. The world is just chirping at us and then slowly shaping us into its system. And the idea that he's talking about here is if I really want to know what God wants me to do, I have to fight against that. That's in what's called the middle voice in Greek, which means I have to purposely fight against it. On a daily basis, I have to wake up knowing that the world is chattering at me, this world that the Bible talks about in John that's headed by Satan that doesn't want me to live for God. I have to wake up and go, oh my gosh, I'm about ready to enter a battle zone. God, would you please help me? The moment that you forget today is a battle, you are in trouble. Every single moment of every single day, the world is just chirping at us, this world headed by Satan, to somehow leave what God has called us to be. The, the Satan, this one who's called, John 10.10, 10, to, to steal, kill, and destroy, he's trying to rip us away from what Jesus is, this one who came to give us life and life to its fullest. It's calling us and beckoning us to go down these different avenues, and not all of them are bad. A job is a good thing. But sometimes he'll start to lie to you and say, yeah, but you find fulfillment in that. It's wonderful. And you start to work too much and neglect your family. The internet, it's not a bad thing, but it can be. TV, movies, all these different things that rob us. The world is just going, come on, buy into it. Just go for it. But if you really want to know what God has for you, you have to say no to it. But here's the next thing. This is what the great news is is not only do I now need to say no to the world, but there's something better, he says. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, this is beautiful. The last one was in the active or in the middle voice, which means I'm supposed to purposely fight against this world. But the second thing he throws in here is be transformed, which is in what's called the passive voice, which means it's supposed to happen to me. See, the promise of all this is that when I truly am a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and an acceptable sacrifice, when I make my life this life of worship, when I, when I choose to tell the world no, something amazing starts to happen to me. And it, what it is, is, is that God starts to transform my mind. It's not something I do. It's something that happens to me is the way that he's talking about here. He talks about it like in 1 Corinthians 2. He lays out this reality of those that choose to walk with God. He says, you can have the mind of Christ. The more that I walk with God, the more that I wake up in the morning, the more that I choose to know him and walk with him and be with him, the more I choose to be around his people, God's body, what it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 3, the more that I'm around God's body and the more I'm in God's word, I am transformed, the Bible says, and I start to actually think like Jesus. Those of you that have ever done this and those of you that walk with Jesus know this and you've had these times in your life that as you've walked with him with his people and in his word and in prayer, you actually start to live differently, don't you? You walk different and talk different. See, what Paul's promising is, is if you do this, you will become different people. God's goal in all this. And, and be honest with yourselves. 
Don't you want to be different? Don't you want to be? Don't you want to be these people that look like Jesus and walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus? I'll never forget when I was in Africa, I was with a guy. And every town that we would go into is amazing. All the people would flock to him. And they all had his name. And I asked one of the guys, why does everybody have this particular name? And he said, well, because the most respected man in the village always gets that guy's name. And I looked at the guy when we were having dinner and I said, I don't understand how it is or what just happened today, but I go, everybody just flocks to you. Everybody wants to follow you and know you. And he looked back at me and he goes, they don't want to follow me. They want to follow the Jesus that I know. I just sat there going, oh my gosh. That man so walks with Jesus that he started to look like Jesus. I don't know if you ever watched even some of your own kids, but I watched my son the other day and he's starting to walk like me. I'm not even going to show you what it is because then you'll know what it is, but it's just funky. (laughs) He's starting to say things like me. He's starting to do things like me. He's starting to be sarcastic like me. (laughs) Why? Because he's around me. The reason that Jesus Christ died was so that we might draw near to the Father and know him and be changed by him. Now here's the amazing thing that happens. If I am one who lives in the mercies of God, if I am one that presents my body as a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and acceptable sacrifice, if I am this one that does this form of worship, if I'm one that says no to the world, and if I'm this one that now says yes to God and allows God to transform me through his word and through his people, something amazing is going to happen. He says, then you'll be able to, by testing, discern what God's will is, what God has for you. See, so often people come up to me and say, man, I'm not sure what job I'm supposed to take. I'm not sure who I'm supposed to marry. I'm not sure all these different things. And the question I never ask them, I never ask them questions around that. I just ask them, are you walking with God and with his people? And they'll sometimes look at me and say, yeah. Or they'll say, no. When they say yes, I look at them and I say, if you're walking with God and if you're walking with God's people, make whatever decision you want. Because when I'm walking with God and walking with God's people, the promise is then I can make correct decisions. I know what God wants me to do. When I'm not walking with God, it's the scariest thing in the world. I won't make correct decisions. Some of you in this room that aren't walking with God are dangerous people. You're dangerous because in not walking with God, you're making decisions that have nothing to do with him. You're taking possibly your husband or your wife, your kids, your businesses, all these different things with you, and you've become a dangerous person. You don't know what God wants you to do. But here's the best part at the end of it. Those that know this now, God's will, can be assured that it's good It's acceptable, and it's perfect. There's a story. When I was in Australia, I got to hang out with this guy that's a captain inside of the Navy. And we were talking about, like, weather things, and I said, we have hurricanes. What are yours called? And so he explained to me, in the Indian Ocean, what are the weather systems they're called? And I don't even remember. Are they typhoons? 
Somebody, typhoon? Okay, I don't remember what they're called. And I said, well, so what happens if you're out in your ship and you get caught in a typhoon? He said, well, what happens oftentimes is, is that the dumb pilots, what they'll do is they'll try to break the storm. What they'll do is they'll fight against the storm, and oftentimes they make st- absolutely stupid decisions. Instead of, instead of getting into the very center of the eye of the storm, knowing that the eye of the storm either is going to go back out the ocean and the storm will dissipate, or else the eye of the storm will take you into land, what they do is, is they try to break the storm, and the storm breaks them. But he said the really good captain, what they do is they get immediately right in the center of the storm. And as they get in the center of it, he said something amazing happens. They can trust that that eye of that storm is going to take them. And he says it gets rough in there and it's awful in there. But eventually either that eye of that storm will take them to land or take them out to sea and it will dissipate and they will save their ship. See, what I see a lot of times is, is there's so many people that think they can break God. You can't break God. God, his will always prevails. There's so many people I see, including myself, trying to live these lives in which I am the captain of my ship. And I'm just telling you, get out of the captainship. You stay in that captainship and the only thing that's going to happen is God will break you. But in the end of it, he says, those that choose to climb in the center of God, it is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. One of the things sometimes it's hard to understand about the will of God is, is why does he do what he do? Does he, why does he do what he does? Work on my grammar. A few years ago, we felt led to buy a piece of property out in Terra Hada. I don't know why we felt led to do it, but we bought a piece of property. In buying it, we went fully forward thinking we were going to do different things. And the end of it, all of you know, We didn't do with it what we thought we were going to do with it. The funny thing about it is, is that on July 5th, we sold that piece of property and we're 100% out of debt now. Now, when I came to Cornerstone, we were about 1.9 or so million dollars in debt. And I was always thinking, how do we get ourselves out of debt? And then we bought a piece of property and I'm like, that really doesn't help get us out of debt. But somehow, by the grace of God, not because of us, in spite of us many times, our church now has zero debt. Just let me vote in just a second. Not yet. (laughs) The thing about debt is, is that it masters you, doesn't it? Once debt has you, it controls you. And by the grace of God... There is no debt controlling Cornerstone. Amen? Now, not yet. <laughs> the great news is now is instead of $40,000, dollars going towards a piece of property, hopefully now we're going to redirect $40,000, $45,000 into things that Cornerstone needs to do to join God in what he's doing on this planet. So if you could, here's what I'm going to ask you. Please pray for the elders. Pray for us. Pray that God would then show us what are we supposed to do with this because in some ways we were always kind of not making ends meet and we were kind of trying to figure out how do we do different things. But I'll tell you what, the last thing in the world I want us to do is free up money than to use on ourselves. I want to free up money to free us to to join God in what he's doing wherever. 
I truly want to just see God take the money that God allows us to have, that allows you to have, and as we give it, I just want to give it all over the world. I want to give it to our city. I want to use it in such a way that people come to know Jesus Christ. So would you please pray for the elders on that one? Number two, just please pray for us so we don't go back into debt again. Like, debt is just a bad thing. A lot of you are learning because of your homes and different things that debt is not a good thing. And pray the cornerstone doesn't go back there. We don't need to go back there. God has given us this amazing place to live in. We don't need anything more. And at the end of it, please just continue to pray that we would continue to stay in the middle of God's will, that it's good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's how I want to finish for you. Some of you in this room are really walking with God, and I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you're walking with God. But you know some in this room aren't. And a lot of you heard what I talked about today, and you want to be inside of God's will. You want it to be good and pleasing and perfect. You want that in your life. But in some ways, you just aren't sure how to get there, even though I explained to you how it is. If you want somebody to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you right now. There's even some of you in this room that have been putting off being baptized. Why? If you're calling yourself a Christian and aren't baptized, you are not in God's will. Only those that are obedient are in God's will. And so today is the day to get baptized. And maybe there's just some of you struggling and you need prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe there's some of you that don't know this Jesus I've been talking about. We'd love to pray with you. But last thing is this. I love this church. I seriously heard about what God did through VBS through you, and I about jumped out of my skin. I heard what God's doing through so many of you in so many different ways. I love this church. But let me tell you something. I might love this church. Jesus died for you. He really loves this church. Never, ever, ever forget Jesus adores you and loves you and desires you to join him in the greatest thing he's doing on this planet. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I feel like I just stopped applause for you. And so as we sing songs now, God, would you help our applause to come out in our voices? God, would we not half-heartedly worship you right now, but would we wholeheartedly worship you? What we do with our heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything that we are. God, would people in here that need to walk with you, would they truly be people that understand your mercies, be people that on a daily basis become a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and an acceptable sacrifice? Would they make that their worship? Would they say no to the world? And then, Father, then would they just allow you to transform them in their thinking as you, they spend time in your word and with your people, God? And then would you show them then what it is you have for them? God, open our eyes to our city and to the places around us like the valley and T.O. and, and Moore Park and Camarillo, wherever we're from, God, would you just allow us to be people that join you in what you're doing and we might see new people come to know Jesus Christ through it, I beg you. I pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen.